and welcome back to Rupture Radio. Uh, this week we have a special At The Roots episode looking at Budget 2022. Um, at the last panel episode we sort of discussed some of what we thought would come up in it. Um, but today I'm sitting down with Des uh, Henley. Say hi Des. Hi Keen. Hello everybody. And we're sitting down to go through what, what actually happened in the budget. Um, point, point, point. Uh, um, trying to cut through some of the spin and give some of the facts and figures for people. Um, so the overall headline, uh, Des, that I, I saw um, was this Nash that Paul and others were using the phrase was this national fiver day. So a, a five euro increase in the pension, a five euro increase in some uh, uh, welfare rates. But obviously the 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 big story from my point of view anyway is that like when you factor that in and you compare it to inflation like 5 euro increase on pension 5 euro increase on welfare is is below the rate of inflation so really they're trying to get headlines about giving people a fiver but it's actually um backwards we're going you know yeah yeah and like, like it just struck me that the media just kind of reported that you know as if it was the case and i don't know whether that's lazy journalism or whether that's a, a political framing but yeah, like at best, you know, if you've done well out of this budget, you might just hold on to your real income for many uh, and particularly for lower paid workers or uh, anyone on average and below. Uh, you're going to be probably in a, a negative position in real terms because of the rate of inflation. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it, it was lazy reporting uh, or worse. And, you know, um, the budget does not give much to to anyone and takes away from quite a lot of people. And overall, um, what would be the figures if you're just average it all out um, for a, an average worker or a low paid worker on thirty or forty k? What does it all work out as? Well, actually, Richard Boyd Barrett picked up on this in the doll and going through the detail of the the budget documents, and he found a document from the 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 um, Department of Finance, showing that for the average worker on 30,000 a year, their, their annual increase from net in net income is 115 euros across the year. That's 0.5%. At a time when inflation has already spiked, it's up to 3.7%, I think, in September and seems to be heading north of that. So um, that's probably your best individual um, measure of what it's going to mean to most workers. Yeah. 115 quid over a year when your rent is going up your electricity and heat and building's going up it's you're actually you are you're going backwards uh, um uh, so the the let's just jump into some of the 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 specifics um so one of the big uh, specifics that I saw talked about is the the fuel crisis um and the the, the rise in, in heating costs uh, um and it seems to me that what the government has announced is a yeah they've a, a, two changes a five euro increase in the fuel allowance which is over twenty eight weeks so you're talking one hundred and forty euro um and also they they made some changes to the eligibility to slightly um broaden out who would be eligible for it um but like again we're back to this point of like that an extra one hundred and forty euro for those on fuel allowance will nowhere near cover the increase in prices of fuel like. The figures that I saw for like heat, light and heat bills are going up about 500 to 800 euros a, um, a year um, on yeah. average. So an extra 140 quid is still not keeping up with uh, um, inflation there at all um, either. And, and the, the other thing, I don't know if you saw this, but one of the sneaky things that they did is um, the change to who's eligible for the fuel allowance doesn't kick in until 
uh, January 6th next year i.e. like till we're over the the most of the, the winter um, so like Paul Murphy was highlighting in the case one, in the doll one case that he had been dealing with of a guy who was 5 euros over the eligibility limit um, and he he should now be included but actually he won't be included in fuel allowance till next year so he has to sort of go, batten down put on the extra jumpers for the, the this winter uh, um, on the promise of getting fuel allowance next year you know yeah, like a winter allowance kicking in in January, like you're halfway through it at that stage. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, and I think the budget is riddled with, with things like that. Um, you know, that the whole um, free contraception thing doesn't kick in until next August, you know. So there's, yeah, and there's probably stuff like that we haven't even dug up yet. Um, uh, little traps and delays and all, all things that make a difference and cost people, and particularly around something like energy and heat. It really hits the lowest paid and the most vulnerable. So that that's that's nasty stuff they've got but in it, there. And it's it's just it's pure PR spin. Like they they want the headline that oh we're making this change to fuel allowance, but they don't they're not actually they're not actually doing it until next year. And yeah, I saw that with the contraception thing. That like it's coming in in August of next year, which is like I, I, the first time they did this the first time one or two years ago was the first time they announced something and it wasn't coming in until midway through the year. Um, and it just seems like yeah. PR spin, um, but the other stuff that that contraception thing is backfired on them a bit. Um, a lot of the criticism I've seen a lot of criticisms of it. Um, so they're doing free con- contraception for women aged seventeen to twenty five. Um, but I've seen criticisms of it from a number of points of view. One of like, well, obviously, uh, uh, for some like they may be sexually active from fifteen or sixteen, and you're just sort of like. Uh, leaving them abandoned but also others over 25 that also like don't want to have children I saw did you see that Paul Murphy saying to the Kian Gorla that um, Kian Gorla I know you're aware that over oh, people over the age of 25 also have sex and then the the Kian Gorla was looking very awkward and shuffling in his chair <laughs> but wish to reply. yeah there was a slight you know there's a bit of a weird moralistic and handmaid's tale vibe off that whole thing so uh, I'm not sure what they were thinking but I think it has backfired on them yeah because the, the big thing is obviously like why are they saying it's like obviously we're here chatting as two men not a very representative panel this week but um, like why are they putting it on that it's oh it's women's responsibility to look after the contraception Uh, um, and even like like part of their spin has been oh well there's some in colleges and stuff there's there's condoms are available uh, um, but that's on a much more limited basis that's like I remember when I was in college there was you know you had to sort of go into the students union welfare officer and sort of like under their eye take condoms out of the bowl it wasn't a particularly like uh, um, it wasn't freely available uh, yeah it was announced over the tannoy that you were collecting them <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah and that, that does seem to have back, like gotten a bit of back obviously it's good to see that like there's some progress on this but like yeah. they shouldn't be implementing it in this sort of sexist judgmental way like you know yeah, yeah, there's just a very strange shape off that. So, uh, and like the, by next August, they'll be working on the next budget by next August. So, Jesus, they'll probably abolish it then, you know. So, yeah. We'll, and we'll so, see. what else? I know you were digging in in particular to some of the, that's obviously part of the health budget stuff, but some of the other changes in the, the health budgets. Yeah, I did. I, 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 I had a look, closer look at the, the health budget, and there's a few things in it. Um, one thing, you know, around mental health in particular. Um, because there's, there was a, there's been a huge amount of focus on, on mental health through the pandemic, and quite rightly so. And you know the government and you know on their supporters, you know making 
noises and, you know, the right noises for that type of thing. But the budget was the point where, you know, uh, this is going to they're going to make a difference or not, because the mental health budget in Ireland, it's about one point one billion. So and that's a little over five percent of the total um, uh, health service budget. No, but internationally, the World Health Organization says it should be 12 percent of, of total health budgets. It's about that in in Britain. Um, uh, the Slogic Care calls for 10% or more. Mental Health Reform Group in Ireland calls for 10% or more. So that's really where we should be going to. And if the government was serious, they'd be setting out, you know, making a big move to that in this budget and, and, and a, a route map to, to doubling uh, where we currently are. But what they, they gave was an extra 37 million to ongoing services and then 10 million to as a one-off COVID-related payment. But that 37 million, that's about... 3.3% of the mental health budget. So again, that's probably going to be below the annual inflation rate. Yeah. So it's probably going to be a real decrease in mental health services. And, you know, and, and, and health inflation often is higher than normal CPI inflation. So I think that was a real hard blow um, for, for mental health, you know. Um, and I saw like the World Health Organization they set a benchmark of like 12% of your health budget should be going to, for every euro you're spending in healthcare, 12 cents of it should be that, going to mental health services. That's right. And that's commonly recognised as the international level. But that'd mean like doubling, more than doubling of, a, of the mental health budget in Ireland, an extra 1 billion. It would. Uh, um, it would. And instead what they're giving is 37 million, like, which is, yeah, as you yeah. say, less than the rate of inflation. And, and it shows though, like, 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 I, I've had mental health difficulties in the past. I've been uh, uh, added onto waiting lists for various C specialists and consultants and whatever. And like, you're just like, you're just on a waiting list and you get a letter six or 12 months later saying, do you still wish to remain on this waiting list? Do you know what I mean? Like that, that's our mental health service. The real, the truth of it is people looking for mental health services in Ireland can't really rely on the public health system. They're either going to charities uh, um, or they're going, paying out of their own pocket for, for, for um psychotherapy services you know whereas yeah. like um that, that 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 you get what you pay for and the irish state is not paying uh, um for proper public health services well and you know it was what it was, it was something i've been waiting for to see what to do in this budget specifically on me- mental health and, and people for profit like they allocated an additional 400 million to mental health in the budget document which would be a 35 percent increase but as part of a, a route to doubling and more than doubling it over three years because that that's the sort of thing if you're serious about mental health if all the words are go beyond words that's the sort of allocation you'd need to be putting in there and it's really you know pitiful what 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 has gone in and and we're just going to that means the mental health situation that was underfunded and chaotic before the pandemic that's just going to carry on and, and with this kind of shadow crisis of mental health you know that's been added to during the pandemic in there as well so um yeah i think that that was something that really really uh demonstrated and i saw um, richard boy barrett made the the comparison between like that 37 million more for mental health versus 38.2 million in this sarp tax relief which is like a tax relief just for high earning like executives uh, um so literally and it's like there's only like 1500 of those or something like there's some small number of people that are above, that are using that tax relief and 
those super rich people are getting literally getting more money than the than the, the than the top up that mental health services getting this year. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's I know it's earning between seventy five thousand a year and a million. And yeah, I think you're right. Fifteen hundred people of those, and, and they're getting this astonishing uh, tax break. Um, and thirty eight million, as you say, is what the the annual benefit is that. So that's more than the increase to the mental health budget. Um, it's a really, it's a good point to draw out the priorities of this government, and it's, uh, you know, it's painful to look. The other big example that I saw, and I, I saw Paul um, Murphy was speaking about this in the all as well about, um, like a sort of a surprise uh, a tax break that they brought in for the banks, um, which is, uh, so they have this bank levy, uh, um, which is calculated on the basis of how much deposits different banks have and so uh, uh, it's it's a small amount of money compared to like the fact that AIB and Bank of Ireland get off without paying any tax on their profits you know but but it is it is something um but the government announced that next year they're going to remove Ulster Bank and um KBC uh, as like a parting gift because Ulster Bank and KBC are meant to be leaving the country at, at, at some stage and they're saying okay well look we won't we won't levy you with this tax uh, um, and that's costing them 63 million euro in lost revenue just mm. just to like as a parting thank you for all your uh, uh, good work to, 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 to these like Ulster Bank and KBC who let's remember they're letting workers off like you know they're, they're sacking mm-hmm. people uh, um, the other thing that I saw uh, um, in terms of the health was this uh, ICU beds stuff that was sort of playing with numbers there uh, yeah that, that that is an another one that i i think um, is is really troubling because one of the reasons that we've had very long lockdowns in ireland we had amongst the longest in europe is that we came into the pandemic with um about five icu beds to every hundred thousand population the oecd average is close to to 12. So we were, you know, less than half. I think it put it as at the third lowest across the OECD. Um, so, you know, and that was recognized um, that, that the lack of ICU beds then meant that we had to lock down earlier and stay locked down for longer because of the risk of running out of ICU beds. Um, and the, the government announced last December that they were going to increase the total number of beds to, I think it's 440 Six. Uh, I think they're going to finish out this year at about 300, uh, 321 is what they expect to end this, this year. Um, so still well below, maybe you know, a little more than half the OECD average, even at this, this point. But incredibly, in the budget, they're, they're allocating funds to increase ICU beds by just 19. So that's one nine. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're, by the end of next year, you know, we're still going to be, you know, barely over half the OECD average. And, you know, if you think if we were to add 19 beds a year for the next few years, it would actually be 2034 before we'd get to the OECD average per capita of ICU beds. You know, by which time the OECD average will have probably gone up. <laughs> indeed, you know, and at a time when we've learned the hard way of just how much um, damage it has caused to 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 society, our economy, to social life, you know, and yeah, and, and that's the response. It's another one that I, I really think within the budget, alongside mental health, beggars belief just how 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 cr- conscious and cruel that the actions are, and the consequences that we're going to be living with again of that. That's going to come back and hurt us hard. Um, so that's but it's it's also just on that. Just it's also just a sign of how much they have not learned the lessons from covid you know 
um, like COVID exposed the weaknesses, as you were saying, in our health service uh, um, and like anybody. And it's also highlighted that, look, we could face other pandemics. This is like partly as a result of the increase in intensive agriculture and stuff. This is like part of our new reality. Uh, um, but instead of taking the actions that we need now to avoid it and to be put ourselves in a better position, should this ever happen again, they're just back to normality, back to the same underfunding of public healthcare and learning nothing from it. Yeah, and indeed, and kind of oh, related to that, it was just interesting in the health space that the INMO uh, reported during the week, actually on on budget day, there was the highest number of people on trolleys in hospitals since the start of the pandemic last Tuesday on budget day. And I, you know, that is another one speaks volumes. And, you know, I think there was 200 million allocated to deal with waiting lists. But again, it's just not commensurate with the scale of the, of the problem that we've got. So, you know, it's it just leave you with a, a bad feeling about how weak our health service will continue to be and, and the consequences that we'll have you know, as as other pandemics or other health challenges as arise, and, and and you know lockdowns and other negative effects on our social life and our working life and on everything else, it's it's a real cause for concern. Yeah, I, um, maybe moving on. So that's the health side of things. Um, housing, obviously, the big talking point that I heard here is yet again, like nothing, literally nothing in the budget for renters. It's it's it, it, in some ways like. It's bold from Finnegan and Finnegan and the Greens. I mean, they're just like you have this housing crisis. You have hundreds of thousands of people renting up to their necks, paying for 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 rent, and they don't even have a single sop. Not even a single like, not even a fiver. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, you, you you kind of have to admire their single-minded determination to serve their interests of their constituency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, and and then it's compounded by the fact that they did they extended out a tax relief for landlords. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, just yeah, just absolutely black and white. That look, we don't care about renters. We're on the side of the landlords. Uh, um, uh, uh, but what were the other things? Was there anything else in there, or what was the big stuff on 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 housing? Uh, um, or was there anything big on housing? Well, they're, they're not really. I think you know the housing for all had predated the budget by a, a little bit. You know that's where they set out their their or stall on that and so to just to recap on that so they're talking about um 300 houses um by 2030 but the reliance on the, the private market is just overwhelming on that to, you know the private market i think to come up with 52 percent of of that target um but the you know the government can't influence that they will only be built by developer developers if it's profitable for them to do so if it's not profitable they won't be built and the government you know has limited um influence on that other than throwing money at, at developers to do it but even within the social housing and affordable housing piece that's in there it's hugely dependent on the part five provisions um so it's going to be based on you know 20 percent of private developments will be um sold to local authorities for social and, and affordable you know but if those developments aren't built the 20 percent won't be there so again it, you know it's leveraged enormously on, on the on the private uh market so there's that massive dependency in the market for housing provision uh and then the budget you know we might have expected something to happen for renters but absolutely nothing so that that housing crisis uh, is to, is another area that is just going to limp on and just hurt so many people because there's renters. Is there? I think it's 
half a million households in, in the private rented sector now. Uh, you know, many spending 30, 40, up to 50 percent of their net income on rent. You know, uh, that that's a huge um, drain of living standards. You know, so so little left and really no end inside to that based on housing for all or the budget. Yeah. And then the only new measure that I saw talked about in the budget well, one is that they're still not doing the va- attacks on vacant properties and on, on like people that are sitting on these vacant properties, um, watching them just go up in value. They're they're they're, they're dilly dallying. They're they're dragging their feet on implementing attacks on that. But that they announced that they there there is currently what's called a, a vacant site tax. So if you're if you're sitting on land that's not being used. Uh, now, to be fair, it's been very like the councils have not been following it up. The councils have not been. Uh, taken on the the the, the land hoarders really, um, but the government, like and Finnafall stood in the election in the last general election last year on the promise of doubling that vacant site tax that they were going to bring it from seven percent to fourteen percent, uh, um, uh, to try to like tackle those land hoarders, land speculators, um, uh, uh, but actually what they announced yesterday though I don't I don't think this had been leaked in advance not yesterday this week and it hadn't been leaked in advance was that they're switching it from that vacant site tax to a new zoned land tax which would be back to 3% so actually having promised to double it uh, uh, now the zone tax is slightly different but like it does mean for land hoarders uh, um, that they, they, rather than the tax going up they could be facing a, a cut in their tax bill uh, uh, um, it's just and just 3% uh, the the important part there is that not only is three percent below inflation, it's well below the rising price of land. So it means that like if you're sitting on a, a bit of land and its price is going up ten percent a year, and you're like, okay, look, I can sit on it. I'll have to pay three percent of that, uh, um, uh, but like I'm still coming out better off. So like it there's even from the the flawed capitalist incentivization sort of approach. Uh, um, it's still it's not even incentivising them to build. You know what I mean? Uh, um. Yeah, and, and like any property developer and landowner looking at the the dynamics of inflation, property inflation, land inflation, will say it's well worth my while sitting tight here for another year, two years, three years, and let inflation enrich me, and I'll I'll pay that tax, and I'll still be well ahead. So so yeah, that that's you know that's going to have very little, if any, effect on supply um even from the flawed model of supply that the private sector provides and just the one final heading under the budget um uh public transport with the green minister for transport now green fingerprints all over it they're saying uh, um could you what what has actually happened if you dig beneath the spin what's actually going on with the uh the public transport stuff do you know well yeah, I've been kind of looking at that and, and listening to some people who've gone into the detail on it. But there seems to be an, have been extraordinary cuts in capital funding for 2022 versus 2021, which, you know, even with our low expectations of the impact of the, the Greens in there on, on the greenwashing agenda of this government, it just seems extraordinary that that should be, um, you know, some of the figures indicate up to a billion um missing or, or caught from from capital and it's you know those that were looking at i'm not sure whether they got to the bottom of it it was kind of hard to follow the, the documentation but it does seem that there's been some really big cuts there which is extraordinary when public transport is now 
such an important factor to getting cars off the road, reducing emissions. Like transport is one of the big emitters in Ireland, along with agriculture. You know, you've got to move quickly and decisively there. Small incremental stuff wouldn't do, but cuts, cuts. Why? Why? What are the cuts about? Even even just the so there's the public service obligation PSO funding, which is like the government central current funding towards like CIA, Bus Air, and all of those, you know, to 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 help them in uh in just getting by, like the subsidy basically, and that is being cut. Uh, this year it was something like five, six, nine, and next year it's going to be four, four, nine, or something like that. It's being cut one hundred and twenty million euro. Uh, uh, last year to next year um, and that's like an 18% cut in the funding now like partly they will justify that and say well this year's been tough for public transport because obviously reduced capacity means reduced fares coming in um, but like surely the extra funding that they provided this year um, should be at least kept on surely the crisis in climate uh, that we're facing it should also be seen as that kind of an emergency Um uh, uh, and to at least at least what we have we hold at the very least keep the that funding at the same level you know that's what they they made a big song and dance of saying that with health that like the increases that they gave to health they're going to try to keep that uh, um, but for a Green Party uh, Minister for Transport to be bringing a, a cut an 18% cut in the uh, core funding in the public sector funding for uh, public transport seems uh, seems madness to me and then you have these like gimmicks this like like this half price fares for 19 to 23 year olds or whatever which is just like fine like that's grand but like it's nowhere near where you need to be and actually the administration of something like that uh, um you'd be it'd be far easier if you just switched to free public transport uh, um for all you know uh, uh, that's what we that's the kind of bold measures we need not these sort of half measures these sort of gimmicks and stuff like that you know yeah, yeah, like yeah, the the budget increases that went through um, during the pandemic should have become the new floor, and you move on from there. And, and immediately you should be mo- moving to free public transport for all. So we, you know, PBP costed that at about six hundred and fifty million that that would cost, but actually incrementally at the moment because fare income was down, it would be considerably less than that incrementally in the twenty twenty two budget. I, I think you know three hundred uh, million would would have done it. You know. You know, to, to get free public transport, transport. I mean, what what a huge step forward that would have been. Entirely doable, even in, within their own uh, logic, and yet failed to, to take that. You know, and, and so capacity. You'd need more capacity, but you know, another uh, three hundred. I think about three hundred million would buy you something. Um, I forget how many. Uh, about three hundred electric battery electric buses. You know, so you could increase capacity as well. So. There was transformational stuff that could have been done there, but a complete failure and going backwards, if anything. But that's that's what you need. You, you like transformational policies are are possible, and that's like maybe moving on to some some of the things that are finishing up on some of the things that weren't done. Not what's in there, but what's missing was like any sort of transformational. Uh, um, radical change uh, um, but do you want to talk a little bit of, like so I know you were involved in and we talked a bit about it the last time but in some of the PBP um, proposals that, that, that PBP brought uh, um, uh, in terms of how you could tax the rich and use that funding to transform public services for the better yeah yeah yeah, because it was a really interesting exercise this is the first time I've done something like that in, in, in detail but 
you know, there are PBP's budget proposals. So they collectively, the revenue raising measures raise about 24 billion. Um, but 75% of that or 18 billion of that come from just three measures. Um, I just give a little detail on those three. So corporation tax to go to 20%. So we know the OECD now is, is moving to 15% uh, minimum effective rate. Um, so, and actually, you know, that 15% rate, if that was applied, just that was applied to the corporate profits that are currently uh, been processed through Ireland, that, that would give you an extra 30 billion uh, of revenue. Now, we're saying let's go to 20, but we're recognizing also that Ireland is a tax haven. It's one of the world's biggest uh, tax havens. And that's a matter of international shame that we are robbing other, the wealth of other countries because that's what it is. It's not competition, industrial strategy competition. It's robbing the wealth of other countries, as simple as. Um, so go, going to 20 percent, a lot of that um, profit shifting that comes into Ireland to avoid tax, that would that would evaporate. Um, so we've conservatively um, assumed about a 10, 10 billion increase in revenue coming uh, from that. Um, the second measure is a 2% annual tax on the wealthiest 5% of households and excluding, you know, their family homes up to a value of a million. And that would raise almost 5 billion, 4.9 billion, we calculate that would raise. Uh, and the third area then is higher income tax rates on, on the higher earners. So those over 100 grand escalating rates as income goes up, 50% rates, 55, 60 and 65% tax rates. Um, and actually, the 65% rate, that to, if that were to apply on those earning over 275,000, that would raise two thirds of the uh, uh, of what would come out of that, which I think is it was around 3.2 billion in total. About 2.1 billion of that would come out from that very high band above 275,000. It's just showing how skewed income inequality is in Ireland, and what can be raised from that. So collectively, there's 18 billion. You know. And, and you go through, you know, that could provide truly free education for, for all, free books and uniforms and get rid of voluntary contributions and, and, and you know, free school meals, breakfast and lunch for all children, primary and post-primary. Yeah, and, like, just the, like, people are always shocked. Like, you know, on, I would have done, in the general election last year, I would have done lots of stuff talking about how... Um, uh, Ireland is the fifth richest country in the world per person and like you always get loads of people that are like no way that's not true and it is true because like it's, it's not because we're rich it's not because ordinary people aren't walking around but there's like a small handful of people with massive amounts of money in this country and like that that just that wealth tax just to give a sense of like the transformative policies that could be done um, that just a 2% millionaires tax like a tax on assets over 1 million euro that you were talking about there would bring in enough to have scrap all college fees that's not just undergrad that's postgrad that's phd and all that uh reduce the pension age to 65 the free school meals free public transport for all and and on top of that build an extra ten thousand uh, extra public houses like you know what i mean that like you could by a, a what is a modest tax on the the assets of the super rich uh, um, you w- could fund transformative uh, um, policies like free education, school meals, reducing pension age, free public transport, and building homes. It's just what is possible. Uh, um, uh, uh, they, 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 they always try to reduce our horizons as to what is what is possible. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it was. It's an interesting exercise to go through that um, and and do the maths 
on it, you know, because they're, they're, they're raising those levels of, of revenue is doable, you know, um, uh, and, and providing those public services and welfare measures, you know, is is doable. Um, but what you know, something I think that um, you know we, we need to recognise as well, it's not just about maths. Um, that you know, you, you can write the, these numbers down, identifying what could be done, what could be built. Um, but the, the budget is, is very much about politics. Um, it's about the politics of wealth and the politics of wealth distribution. Um, and there, I think that, you know, a, a divining characteristic of PBP is that we recognize that the redistributive proposals that we've got here that, that should be done, but they would be resisted um, very strongly by capital. You know, there, I don't think there's ever been an elite in the world that has ever surrendered its power and its wealth you know, just because uh, the, uh, a majority of people voted for that, it doesn't happen. They resist. They will resist economically, politically, and and and, and you know, uh, by the use of force if, if necessary. That is that that is world history under under class systems. Even I remember even when uh, Corbyn was knocking on the door of number ten. Uh, um, and you had these rumours going around of like military chiefs plotting possible coup attempts if he if he came in, and you had like so uh, there was a video footage of them like using Corbyn photos as for aiming practice and stuff. So that's uh, um, they they won't they won't go quietly. They'll they'll put up a fight. They will not. So, and you know, my, my my view is that I think what that's what defines the politics of PVP. That's a lot of others who would on the left or who would say they're on the left when met by that sort of pressure from capital, will immediately go into negotiations and will immediately start a long retreat. Uh, PPP recognises that, that the resistance from capital that would be there and is ready to confront that and would mobilise ordinary people um, to, to to get what we need, you know, um, deliver on the sort of the, the things that we've, we've talked through. Uh, but that would involve conflict and, and confrontation, um, uh, and and we we're not you know we write these things out we're not we're not um, uh, deluded about uh, being able to get those things without a struggle it would take a normal struggle and it would take a normal mass struggle and that's you know the important politics behind all of this that's what it will take um, ultimately um, we we you know we've written out here what's possible um, but it's going to take a struggle to get it yeah I think that's the point that like there is. There is an alternative there. The wealth is there. We can afford a decent society. We can afford decent public services. We can afford decent retirement uh, um, and, and proper wages. But it's not going to be handed on a silver platter to us. The, the, like, I think you're doing great work in the, 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 the preparing these budget documents and all that. But that, that is a that's not a document that's going to be a budget that's going to be handed down from on high. That's going to be something that requires people power from below to fight for, you know, and to build those movements for, you know. Um, but okay, we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, um, on end on that note, on that call to arms, uh, um, and uh, remind people that they can continue to fund uh, this kind of work uh, and this kind of research and bringing this stuff by by joining our Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash rupture radio, uh, um, and get involved in our discussions and let us know feedback as to what more topics you'd like us to cover and who else you'd like us to interview. Uh, um, and thanks again, Des from the PPP Doll Research Team. Uh, um, and I'm sure I'll, we'll have you back on our panels again soon. Great. Thanks, King. Good to talk to you. Have a good day. Cheers.